48K News. It's one o'clock. I'm Sean Kennedy. The headlines. The U.S. Congress approves two bills backing Hong Kong's protest movement. Dozens of protesters in the Polytechnic University hold out against calls to surrender. And officials check the Cross Harbour Tunnel to see if it's safe to reopen to traffic. The U.S. Congress has approved two bills intended to support demonstrators in Hong Kong, forcing President Trump to decide whether to sign them in the face of strong objections from China. The Hong Kong Human Rights and Democracy Act provides for sanctions against any Hong Kong officials considered responsible for human rights violations. A second bill would ban the export of items such as tear gas to police in Hong Kong. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi welcomed the legislation. Today, the Congress is sending an unmistakable message to the world that the United States stands in solidarity with freedom-loving people of Hong Kong, and we fully support their fight for freedom. The government says the passage of the bills doesn't help to ease tension in Hong Kong and will only send the wrong message to radical protesters. In a statement, it said the bills would only hurt ties between Hong Kong and the United States. A spokesman said Hong Kong provides an enormous economic benefit to the United States, citing last year's trade surplus of more than 33 billion US dollars with Hong Kong. The lawmaker representing the education sector says he believes that some of the people still inside Polytechnic University are not protesters, but staff or others who got trapped by the police siege. Police placed a cordon around the campus on Sunday amid violent clashes with anti-government protesters and said those inside would be charged with rioting. Authorities say around 800 people have since left. It's believed up to 100 others remain. Lawmaker Ip Kin Yun says he believes several of them are under 18. He says unlike last week's clashes at the Chinese University, non-protesters at Polytechnic weren't given enough time to leave. Some of them told us that you know, they're trapped inside and because the time to allow them to leave is too short. And that was a time there are f- a lot of conflicts between the police and the protesters. So they could not leave before the time limit uh, set by the police. Some are you know, just doing insurance policy uh, with their clients. Some are probably use uh, staff who were just working there or just return there to, to fetch something. It's understood the authorities are inspecting the ventilation and sewage systems at the Cross Harbour Tunnel to ensure it's safe to reopen to traffic. The major link between Hong Kong Island and Kowloon has been suspended for more than a week after protesters set fire to toll booths in Hong Hom. Since the toll booths will take time to repair, there have been suggestions that the government should waive the charges. Sources say that's not a major concern as there are other ways to collect tolls, such as via octopus payment and auto toll. In the wake of the suspension of the tunnel, the government has offered free ferry services between Wan Chai and Hong Hom and Kowloon City. Anti-government protesters have been blocking train doors again to delay transport in Hong Kong for the second week in a row. The MTR reported delays on its island, Kuantong and Chunwan lines this morning. Due to vandalism and road blockades set up by protesters, Hong Hong and university train stations are closed, as do several roads around Hong Kong, including the Cross Harbour Tunnel, as we mentioned. Yunlong Station will close at 2pm today. The Secretary for Justice, Theresa Cheng, says the protests in Hong Kong have nothing to do with the controversial extradition bill that was introduced and later withdrawn by the SAR government and those taking part are only in it for the violence. She was speaking to the media after meeting in London with the Chinese ambassador to Britain, Liu Xiaoming. Justice Chief said the Hong Kong government has been pragmatic when dealing with the situation, using police to restore law and order while also reaching out to people to understand their concerns. 
The current situation in Hong Kong has nothing to do with the Fugitives Offenders Bill. It is, if I may say, plain violence. And therefore, it is important that we do not relate one to another. This has moved into another stage that has to be dealt with. And the government of Hong Kong is looking at that in very pragmatic ways to deal with the situation that we have in Hong Kong. Professional Commons lawmaker Kenneth Leung says it's ridiculous of police not to reveal the ingredients of the tear gas it's using, as people are very concerned about the impact on their health. Yesterday, the Health Secretary refused to disclose the components, citing operational concerns. Mr Leung also says the government should issue more guidelines on how to clean up tear gas residue, especially from food produce, given the use of the gas near the Yamate fruit market. In the past five months, approximately 10,000 canisters of tear gas have been used. And as citizens, we have the right to get informed what sort of chemical compounds are there in the canister of tear gas. And I don't understand the reason why there is a strategic, you know, or operational need to conceal the information from us. We just want to know what are the chemical compounds, you know, in the tear gas that the police have been using. A China researcher at Amnesty International says torture claims from a former British consulate staff member in Hong Kong are plausible. In August, Simon Cheng was detained for 15 days by mainland police who say he confessed to visiting a prostitute. But Mr Cheng says the confession was forced and he was tortured by police who wanted him to say Britain was helping protesters in Hong Kong. Patrick Poon says Mr Cheng's experience is similar to what they've heard from other detainees. Even without the extradition kill, we can see already a very vivid case on how a person can be taken to mainland in such a manner. And also what's even more worrying was if his account is true, that what he saw inside the detention facilities that he also saw other Hong Kongers. So it's something like kind of worrying like how the mainland forces is operating in Hong Kong. So the bill itself is only left posing some threats. But now if his claims are true, then actually the threats are already happening. A new study says China plans to build or license enough coal-fired power stations to match the output of the entire European Union. The report by a research group, Global Energy Monitor, says China is pushing ahead with coal-fired plants while many other countries implement cuts. The BBC Matt McGraw reports. Over the past 18 months, most of the world has started to turn away from coal as a source of energy. But in the same period, China has added enough coal-fired electricity to power 31 million homes. The surge is likely to continue, say researchers. China is set to build around 50% more coal plants than are under construction in all other countries combined. To keep the world under two degrees of warming, as agreed in the Paris Climate Agreement, China needs to cut coal by 40% by 2030. This research says that will be very difficult to achieve. Australia's biggest city, Sydney, has again woken to a thick layer of smoke from bushfires. Visibility is extremely low, and with more hot, windy weather forecast, authorities have warned people with respiratory and heart conditions to stay inside with their windows closed. Lawyers representing victims of the convicted American paedophile Jeffrey Epstein have urged Prince Andrew to volunteer to give a legal statement about his links to the financier. Yesterday, the prince, who's one of Queen Elizabeth's sons, said he was willing to help investigations into Epstein if required. He also announced he was stepping back from public duties because of what he called his ill-judged association with Epstein, who killed himself in jail. Prince Andrew said the issue had become a major disruption to the royal family's work. The royal commentator, Dickie Arbiter, says he still has to answer many questions. 
He's not out of the woods yet. The FBI investigators want to talk to him, the litigators' lawyers want to talk to him, and they want to talk to him under oath. So he's still got that to face. Now, does he do it in the States or does he do it in the United Kingdom? That is still to be decided. But he's really got to come forward and say exactly what happened. Angry protesters in Malta have demanded the resignation of the Prime Minister Joseph Muscat after police arrested a prominent businessman in connection with the murder of a journalist, Daphne Croana Galizia. Demonstrators who accused the Prime Minister of protecting those responsible for the murder gathered outside Parliament in Valletta. Businessman Jorgen Fennec was detained on his yacht as he reportedly tried to leave the country. Ms Galizia's son Paul welcomed the development but said it was crucial that Mr Fennec's political connections be scrutinised. The arrest of Jorgen Fennec is obviously a welcome development in the investigation into my mother's assassination. It's overdue and it's very important. And what we're hoping for now and what we expect is that the authorities continue to investigate Fennec's links to the Prime Minister's Chief of Staff and his now Tourism Minister. Officials in Myanmar say the country's civilian leader, Aung San Suu Kyi, will personally lead a legal team at the International Court of Justice next month to argue against accusations of genocide. Here's the BBC's Nick Beaker. For someone who was once a global icon of human rights, it will be the most extraordinary of scenes. Nobel Peace Prize winner Aung San Suu Kyi will travel to The Hague to tell the world her country has not committed genocide. The judges will be asked to grant so-called provisional measures to make sure Myanmar immediately stops ongoing alleged atrocities against the Rohingya. Ms. Suu Kyi does not control the still hugely powerful generals, but has faced searing international criticism for failing to defend the Rohingya. Google has announced it's stopping highly targeted political advertising on its platforms. The new policy will prevent advertisers using political affiliations and voter records to aim their messages at specific individuals. Here's the BBC's Dave Lee. Google's announcement puts it somewhat at odds with Facebook, which has said it would not remove ads from political campaigns, even if they contained falsehoods. Google said it would remove obvious examples of misinformation, but did not anticipate stepping in too often. More significant is Google stopping the ability for campaigns to upload their own list of potential voters, match it with Google's user base, and then target those individuals as they browse YouTube or Google's search engine. McCall says it's setting up a cybersecurity commission to monitor public utilities operators, including banks, hospitals, public transport operators, broadcasts and gaming operators. It will be led by the SAR's chief executive and its operations will be coordinated by the police. The ride-hailing app Uber is to begin trials of a feature which allows customers to record audio of their car journey if they have safety concerns. The company, which has over 90 million active users worldwide, says it will test the measure in some cities in Brazil and Mexico from next month. To finance now and currencies, the US dollar is trading at 108.5 yen. The euro stands at 1 US dollar and 10 cents. The pound is worth 10 Hong Kong dollars and 11 cents. A short time ago, the Hang Seng Index was at 26,450, 443 points down on the previous close. Turnover stands at $43 billion. And now with the sports, here's Adam Chung. The NBA has witnessed the first ever successful three-pointer made by all-star Ben Simmons. 
It happened in the first quarter of Philadelphia's home game against New York. Simmons did the improbable when he fired a corner three in front of the Sixers bench, sending his teammates and the crowd into a frenzy. The Australian guard, now in his third season, had previously attempted the three only 18 times. He finished the game with 18 points and 13 assists, while the Sixers won 109-104. Elsewhere, the San Antonio Spurs are experiencing their longest losing streak under coach Greg Popovich. A 138-132 defeat to Washington was their seventh loss in a row. Having made the playoffs in each of their past 22 seasons under Popovich, the Spurs are currently second from bottom in the Western Conference. Next to football in the English Premier League, where excitement is building over the return of Jose Mourinho. The Portuguese manager has taken his first training session with Tottenham after replacing Maurizio Pochettino, who was sacked on Wednesday. Mourinho's contract runs until the end of the 2022-23 season. It pays him 10 million US dollars a year, about 5 million less than what he got at Manchester United. Despite his previous success, Mourinho has been criticized for his style of play in recent years and seems to have lost the magic that saw him win the Premier League three times with Chelsea. South Africa's all-time top scorer Benny McCarthy won the Champions League with Porto when Mourinho was manager. He thinks he can still compete with the best in the league. I think he's probably gone back and did some soul-searching and look how to get that Jose Mourinho back, you know, um, how to get the best out of the players and how to have that fantastic player management skill that he was known for is one of the best out there that you have in modern day football. So I think, yeah, the time he's been away from football has helped him there. And he, he, yeah, he seems like he was in a much happier place and that, and maybe that's what he just needed. And I think, yeah, he can make a massive turnaround with Spurs. Mourinho starts his new job Saturday in a league match away to West Ham. The Toronto Maple Leafs have finally fired head coach Mike Babcock and replaced him with 39-year-old Sheldon Keefe. The iconic hockey club have not won a playoff round in their four seasons under Babcock, who joined them in 2015 after signing the richest coaching contract in NHL history. The Leafs have won just nine of their first 23 games this season, despite having a star-studded lineup that includes Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner. Keefe has been coaching Toronto's farm team for the past five years and will make his Leafs debut Thursday against the Phoenix Coyotes. And that's your look at sports. And to end the news, the top stories once again. The US Congress approves two bills backing Hong Kong's protest movement. Dozens of protesters in the Polytechnic University resist calls to surrender and officials check the Cross Harbour Tunnel to see if it's safe to reopen to traffic. The news from RTHK.
Good afternoon and welcome to the 123 show with me, Sadia Osmani. Thanks to Phil for the morning brew. And on the show today, did you know, yes, did you know that it's World Television Day? I bet you didn't. Well, we've got a bit of an entertainment sort of theme on the show today and some interesting facts to tell you. And we've got some music. Hopefully, I've kind of pulled out some music which might be relevant to the whole television theme as well. So that should be exciting. And after 2.30, my guest online will be Matthew Gregory. He's the executive producer of ABA Productions. He'll tell me all about the magical production of The Snowman opening in Hong Kong on the 29th of November which is exciting, actually, because I love going to the theatre. So that is happening on the 29th of November, and I think they'll be around till about the 1st of December. So I reckon you should get that into your diary. And we've got an entertaining programme for you. So make sure you stay tuned with me right through till three o'clock. Oh. 